You can imagine, can't you, at uh, the mission headquarters and uh, when they're divvying up the different responsibilities that everyone has and they tell someone that they have to go to Crete. You can imagine the person that volunteers would feel slightly guilty saying, somebody's got to go. Uh, someone's got to go to this, this kind of paradise, uh, kind of like I- island. Um, but as we pick up this short letter that we find in our New Testament, and we delve a little deeper into some of the things that were going on in first century Crete, we will soon realise how challenging a job this was going to be. This would be a, a really difficult mission. It was no day at the beach. Uh, Now, this letter is written by the man who penned nearly a quarter of the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul. And if you're new to church or you want to refresh your memory, uh, then you can read his amazing story in the book of Acts. Uh, There in that story, uh, in that historical account of this man, Paul, or sometimes known as Saul, uh, we see a man who went from uh, being the, the church's most violent oppressor uh, to being the busiest evangelist there was. Um, from throwing people into prison to being thrown into prison himself for the sake of the gospel. And despite his many gifts and his passion for telling others about Jesus, uh, Paul was not a one-man team, was he? Far from it. Everything that he did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Paul himself, of course, only could be in one place at one time. And so he had to be strategic about where he was. And so he therefore sent people out into different parts of the world. People that he trusted to go into the mission field. And Titus was someone that Paul clearly trusted. He was Paul's troubleshooter, someone that he called upon when there was a really difficult situation. Over the course of the New Testament, uh, we know that Titus was sent to a number of difficult places that needed special attention. Uh, We don't know much about Titus's background, but we find his name dotted around the New Testament. Uh, We know that he was a Gentile, which means that he wasn't a Jew. And he was possibly even from Crete. And we know that he was led to faith by Paul. Uh, We know that he was sent to Corinth for a certain amount of time. Uh, It's in the second letter to the Corinthians that uh, Titus's name comes up again and again. Uh, You'll see his name crop up a number of times. And the last mention of Titus in our Bibles is in 2 Timothy, uh, where uh, we are told that Titus has gone to Dalmatia an area which we know today as Croatia. Uh, So uh, Paul trusted this man. He calls him my partner and fellow worker in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, And knowing the difficult situations in both Corinth and that we will see later on in this book in Crete, we can gather then that Titus was a trustworthy man. He was a believer who could deal with difficult problems, uh, with insight and with patience and with grace, uh, we read in Corinthians. Crete, a word and unreached people group. The, uh, if you read Acts chapter two and, and the, uh, the sermon Peter preaches on Pentecost, 
it tells us there that there were Jews from Crete there uh, that had made the journey to Jerusalem for the Passover. So uh, they had heard uh, some of the good news. But the reason why, why is... So I'll start from the beginning. (laughs) So the reason why the people of Crete uh, were particularly difficult to reach was because of how entrenched the island was in their pagan worship. So according to Greek mythology, Zeus, who is the, the main chief god in Greek mythology, he was supposedly born on the island of Crete. So one of Paul's aims in this letter, as we read it, is to show us that the true God is so very different to the false gods that the island was worshipping. Now, whereas Zeus was a a made-up God, uh, a a story made by men uh, about a man who became God, Jesus was the true God who became man. The other aspect that Paul wanted uh, to convey was God's perfection, his holiness and his goodness. You see, uh, Zeus uh, was a a god with a a small g uh, being made in the image of those who dreamt him up. Uh, The tales about Zeus show him to be violent and lustful and a liar. And Paul wants to show the people of Crete what the true God is like, how he is perfect and good and my hope is as we look at this letter we will see that the message that Paul had for Titus is as applicable to 21st century Kladach as it was to 1st century Crete and the overarching theme I want to have and the title that I've given this series is belief and behavior and the two things are intrinsically linked What you believe cannot and must not be separated from what you do. Time and time again, uh, Paul wants Titus to remember that what we believe in our hearts will ultimately be lived out in our actions. So I want that to be at the forefront of our minds as we study this letter. But this morning, we're just looking at these first four verses that we read. And if you've got your Bibles open, that would be really helpful. And I want us to see four things this morning, okay? Four things. Uh, The first of these things is there in verse 1. That truth leads to godliness. Truth leads to godliness. Uh, This is what verse 1 says. Uh, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth leads to godliness. Truth leads to godliness. How can that be? Well, it depends, doesn't it, on what your life is built upon. Uh, Jesus said, didn't he, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's only through having our, our lives built upon the rock, upon Jesus Christ, that we can be godly by coming to him daily uh, for all our needs That's how we will become more godly, isn't it? How we will become more and more like Jesus. So what is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of having our lives built upon Christ? Well, it's what was happening in Crete and what was happening around us today. You see, whereas Jesus is unchangeable, 
He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is consistent in every way. His words cannot be changed. Uh, For the uh, Cretans, as it is in, in our society today, truth is seen as optional, isn't it? Everyone has their own truth. Everything is fluid. It is subjective. People pride themselves on their freedom to choose what they want. We get to choose what is right and wrong. And ultimately, the lie of subjectivity, of of saying that there's no truth, leads to immorality. And when there's no outside source of godliness and goodness and justice, then we become our own judges, don't we? And we see this at play in our own society today. Uh, When people remove the goodness and the clarity and the truth of the Ten Commandments, say, a standard for morality set by God, then there's confusion because the whole of life is lived in this grey area where uh, people don't know what is right and wrong because they just want to do what they want to do. There isn't a definitive right and wrong because everything is decided on how we feel. People do what they want, how they want, when they want, thinking that it will achieve happiness and fulfilment. And yet, are people any happier today? I don't think so. I think, if anything, people are sadder and more confused and more broken. So why does it cause pain? Well, it's because there's no such thing as subjective truth. There's no such thing as, as your own truth. There's, there's truth and there's lies. Uh, John Benton, a, an English preacher, he said this, It is not a matter of opinion that a tablespoon of poison will kill you. It is objective truth. And if you were to try and live as if this were not true, you would soon die. You see, the world is not all a matter of opinion. The truth exists. So, of course, there are things that you can have an opinion on. Uh, We can't apply the same logic that we do with truth, with things like food and music and fashion and... and, uh, whatever it might be, your taste in those things might differ to mine. Uh, You might think uh, a certain shirt looks nice and I might disagree with you. Uh, You might like a a song that plays on the radio and I might think it sounds rubbish. Uh, But we cannot extend that sort of approach with morality. And sadly, this is how the world works today as it was in Crete. They thought they could believe one thing and live a life that didn't reflect that at all. Uh, they saw truth as this, as this very fluid thing. So this morning, our call is to remember that God is a God of truth. And when we hold fast to God and the fact that he cannot lie, as it says later on in verse 2, we can have great confidence, can't we? We have something concrete to hold on to. Our faith is not a matter of opinion, is it? It is true. It is not something that may be disproved tomorrow. It's not something that may change with the times and seasons. It was as true 2,000 years ago as it is today. So that's the first thing this morning. Truth leads to godliness. Uh, Secondly, look at verse 2. Our hope is long promised. That's our second point. Our hope is long promised. Uh, The second thing I want to consider this morning is is this. When we read verse 1 and 2 together, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Uh, the best things in life take a lot of planning and preparation, don't they? Um, who remembers the opening ceremony at the, the 2012 Olympics? Does anyone remember that? Uh, it was an amazing display of, of ingenuity, of, of drama and storytelling, of music and of comedy. And it was educational as it showed you uh, the, the history of the British Isles. But it didn't happen overnight. Uh, people didn't show up and improvise this great display. Uh, the film director, Danny Boyle, was asked two years before whether he would be willing to direct it. And it took months of planning and there was a £27 million budget and there was tens of thousands of people involved and there was hundreds of rehearsals. And when we watched it on our tellies, it was staggering. But this is nothing compared to the planning and the preparation that went into the hope that there is for Christians today. As Paul says here, the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. The salvation story of the gospel is not something which has been two years in the making, or 200 years, or 2,000 years. Our great and glorious God has always known that he would one day create a people and he foresaw that they would rebel. And in his kindness and mercy, he knew that he would one day come into the world and offer eternal life to those who put their trust in him. Isn't that amazing? And as far back as Genesis 3, uh, there's this promise of someone who would destroy the works of the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even there, with Adam and Eve in the garden, there is this promise of hope. And throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, there are so many promises of Christ to come. Little clues that give us an insight into what he would be like. That he would come from Abraham and that he would bless the nations. That he would be a king from the town of David. Uh, that he would be the Prince of Peace, born of a virgin. All these things and more point to the fact that this was no plan B. This was the plan from before the ages began. And our confidence in all of this is, of course, linked to the steadfast nature and the robustness of God's character in truth. It's hard, isn't it, when you wait for a long time uh, and you wait for something as uh, the people of Israel waited for the Lord. But they knew and they could be confident that the Lord would promise, uh, would deliver on his promises because of his character. Uh, now, we don't have that luxury at all times, do we, uh, with the things that we wait for. I remember a few years back, uh, we had our driveway done in our house in Cardiff. And the people that did the job were some of the most unreliable people I've ever come across. And uh, they started the job and they found it seemingly impossible to finish it. And they made so many assurances and promises that they would come back and finish it. 
uh, but they couldn't be trusted. Uh, and one morning, when, when we were particularly at the end of our tether, uh, the, the main, uh, the lead builder, tried to assure me by saying, mate, look, if it's not finished by the end of this day, I'll stand here and you can punch me in the face. And he, he was six foot three, about six foot three wide. Um, the driveway was not finished that day and I, I didn't take him up on that offer. I didn't think it was a very good idea. Um, and we had to wait another few weeks for the driveway to be done. Uh, and it was painful, that wait uh, for a resolution, to, rev, a resolution to come because we couldn't trust the person in charge. We didn't know if he would actually come true with his promise. Um, but we have hope when God makes a promise because he cannot lie, it says. If he says something, he means it. If he starts something, he will finish it. As we read, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So uh, that is our second point this morning. So thirdly, I want us to look at verse 3. The third thing is that preaching is powerful. Uh, The third thing I want to tell you is how this message has been shared. So yes, it's been planned and promised before the world has begun. But there in verse 3, we read this. And which now, at this appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. So God has been at work from before the beginning of time. And a proper time, it says. Uh, uh, these things became clear or or manifested. And it reminds us a little of Galatians chapter 4, doesn't it? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. So it's telling us Jesus came into the world at the perfect time. It was no mistake. It wasn't a coincidence. Everything that had come before and that would come after was a result of God's perfect sovereignty and wisdom. Yes, the wait was long, but in God's perfect wisdom, it was the right time. But notice too what the third verse says. Yes, the truth has been manifested at the right time. But here we see how God communicates his message. Look there in verse three. It's through the preaching of his word. When you come to church, we do a number of things, don't we? We sing together and we pray together and we come around the Lord's table And we have a a lovely chat and a cup of tea together and encourage one another. But the biggest chunk of the service is taken up by the preaching of God's word, isn't it? And that's because preaching is powerful. Uh, God speaks and works through faithful preaching. And we see that throughout the Bible. We are told why Jesus appointed 12 disciples to aid him in his work. It says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What does Paul say to the church in Philippi? He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. What are Paul's final instructions from 
from the, the prison cell that he probably would go and be executed from. Uh, he says to Timothy, preach the word. And possibly the most important verses on the matter in Romans 10, Paul says this, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word in Christ. So we need preaching. We need preaching that is biblical. We need preaching that is practical, that is edifying, that has been prayed through, uh, that it cannot be self-promoting. It needs to be about Christ. It needs to tell us that we are sinners in need of a saviour. It needs to proclaim that Christ Jesus loves sinners and that he was willing to die in their place. It ought to tell us about the resurrection and the ascension and how Jesus conquering death can give us hope for the future. When a good sermon is preached, Jesus will increase and we will decrease. Why does preaching make a difference in people's lives? This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones had to say. Because it addresses us in such a manner as to bring us under judgment. And it deals with us in such a way that we feel our whole life is involved. And we go out saying, I can never go back and live as I did before. This has done something to me. It has made a difference to me. I am a different person as a result of listening to this. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what biblical preaching will do. It will transform lives. It will convict us of our sin. It will turn weeping into joy. It will open blind eyes and it will raise the dead to life. That is what spirit-filled preaching can do. And that is what Paul did. And that is what Titus would do on Crete. And my hope is that what will happen in Bethel as well. And fourthly and finally, we will see that truth breaks down barriers. Uh, When we reach verse 4, we are eventually told, aren't we, who this letter is addressed to. Uh, When we write letters or send emails, uh, we, of course, address the person that we are writing to at the very top. In the first century, the person who wrote the letter introduced themselves at the beginning, which I think probably makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? But it's not there until verse 4 that Paul says to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. And what strikes us is that uh, Paul calls him my true child in the faith. We're all very different, aren't we? If you look around this morning, uh, we're from different backgrounds, different experiences. Uh, We're men, we're women, we're boys, we're girls. Uh, We look different, we speak differently. Uh, Our histories, our upbringings are all different. And this past week has been different to you as it's been different for me. 
our temperaments and our personalities are all different. But there is one thing that unites us all as believers, isn't there? That's the Lord Jesus. And, and that's the common faith that Paul and Titus had. Uh, Paul was the Jew of Jews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He had the most religious upbringing you can ever imagine. He has studied the law given uh, by God through Moses. He went to the temple and to the synagogue. Titus was a Gentile, uh, possibly from a pagan background. And yet, now they were on the same side. They had the same ambitions. They shared a common goal to see people come to know the Lord Jesus for themselves. So as I finish this morning, let's remember what unites us as a church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And I'm so thankful that we can be united around the same person. So may everything that we do as a church be a reflection of the Lord we serve. And to quote from Paul's words in the letter to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is what we are, brothers and sisters. Uh, we are united by the blood of Christ. So let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another. Let's point each other to Christ, who is God become man, who has been promised from before the world began and has saved us from our sins. And as we explore this letter, my hope is that we will all be encouraged and challenged.